Good morning, church. Oh, I'm excited for you guys to get outside. They're, they're working hard out there to do all the groups to get, a, to get our first, we're calling it this year, the, the Grow Group Expo. And I want to encourage you into what Melanie said. Hey, at least stop. If you're not in a group um, and you haven't been in a group, let me tell you real quick before we get in our message why they're so important to me. It's because I care about you. And I want you to be pastored to the extent that you deserve to be pastored. I'm fully taken care of. And the truth of the matter is, one person can only connect with so many people. But the way we operate and the way we grow bigger and yet smaller at the same time is by getting people in groups. And yes, you'll have some great groups. Some, you'll, some of you will eat breakfast. Some of you will study the deep things of the Word. And all that's wonderful. But if I'm honest, as a pastor, that's just extra. The thing that I like is when you're sitting together talking about life, doing life together, finding out what happened with your kids last night, what's going on in your life, what's happening, what can we pray with you about, because the more you do that and the more you share your testimonies, not only the closer you get, but the healthier you get. Because the way we grow is we, we, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron, and we need to be able to hang out with, with each other. We need to share life with each other. So that's why I'm encouraging you, if you want to be pastored the way you deserve to be pastored, I'm asking you to consider strongly getting in a group. They're on the website. Once you go, if you want to think about it some more, on the website is also all of our, all the leaders' contacts. We have somebody that's maintaining that for us now, so that num those numbers are accurate, the emails are accurate, and you can contact those people, and even if you just have questions. And I tell people this, too. I tell our leaders this. Don't hold on tight to anybody. If you want to go and try a group and you realize, hey, the time's not working or the, uh, it's just not jiving, then go find you another one. We're all adults. Nobody's going to get their, their britches in a bunch. And, and, well, you left mine to do this one. That's not what this is about. This is about taking care of people. And that's what we're going to do, and we're going to do it well. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, let me say hello to all you guys watching online. I know we were back in school, but some of you guys are sneaking in last-minute vacations and I know we have others that uh, join us and kind of part of our family online only. It's awesome to have you here. If you're in the room for the first time, I do consider it a high honor to me that you would just come hang out with us as we are not a bunch of perfect people, but we serve a, per a perfect God. Amen. Nobody in this room is there. We may be a little different stages of our journey with God, but we're all here to, just to show people that. So last week we started the series that I do really every year about this time called What's Next. And last week we talked about our why. Our why. Why do we do what we do? And this was the gist of what, what I said last week, is our why comes from God's wants. You may not know this, but God wants more than just to save you. He wants more than just you to come and spend eternity with him. He wants more than just to give you a get-out-of-hell-free card. The Bible says that there, that is the starting place. But the Bible is very clear, and this is what we base everything we do on this, that God gives us four promises. And those four promises, I'm going to translate them to what God, through his promise, he's telling us what he wants. And this is what he wants. We talked about this last week. He wants lost people saved. Now somebody, if you're in the room, you say, well, I can't believe you called me lost because I don't know Jesus. You're not lost in the sense of you're a lost cause. The Bible says as, as you, you're trying to make your way in a place where it's not going to happen. 
you can't get yourself to heaven. God says, my promise is I'm going to get you and give you a way so you can come hang out with me. So then he wants lost people saved. He wants saved people pastored. That just simply means that, that my job, whether it be through grow groups or as the pastors, get us all going the same direction. Get us getting over our past, leaving things that are in the past in the past so they don't dictate our future. Then he wants pastored people trained. You've all got gifts. We teach this in our class, which, by the way, we're introducing a brand new growth track, and we're changing that, and we're going to be calling that One Step Connect, so that you can come, and in one, one evening, we've condensed it all down, so you can come, get, get we call it getting your jersey, get on the team, join, make this your home, is what we say, and then you can get plugged into a team, because everybody in this room is good at something. Now, I know some of you may say, well, you just don't know, I'm not good at anything. I promise you, you're buying the, the lie of the devil. You, you were created on purpose for a purpose. You're, that we're here for a reason. And when we get trained, then we do the next thing, and God wants to train people mobilized. In other words, we can train everybody up if we just all sit here on our rear ends and we don't share with anybody. We don't come out and serve food on August the 20th and put boxes of food in people's cars. We don't serve in the nursery, serve kids, serve in the ushers. We don't invite people who've never, maybe never been to a church, or maybe they, they don't have a home, then we're not doing much. And the, the Bible is very clear. God wants us mobilized. Because now we're going from a singular thing of just me getting things in order to now us getting things in order. And this, the truth of God's word is we can do so much more together than we could ever do alone. When God gets behind us as a group, we're unstoppable doing what he's asked us to do. So those are the promises of God. And last week we started with the why, but now in the next four weeks we're going to go through the individual four things, and I'm going to show you how they translate to what's out in the foyer, to what you'll hear from us. Actually, starting today, if you've got kids in the, in the uh, kids' church or in the nursery, when you walk in over there, in between the bathrooms, if you'll look, there is a kid version of what we're studying right now. It's just put in kid different terminology. So by the time your kids come out of our nursery and out of our kids' church, they're going to know these four things. Know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. They'll know them as, as love God and have fun and do your best and, and love others and those kinds of things in their words that they can understand. So today we're going to talk about the, about the know God. Because know God, it's God's promise of salvation. He says, you can't come know me unless I make a way. You may, if you've been in church and heard it before, maybe you've never been in church and didn't know this, but long ago when God created Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve kind of screwed it up and, and sinned and put something in between us, God, this, this chasm that we can't get across, a debt that we can't pay. And God said, I got to figure out how to get you to understand this, but here's this free gift and you, you can cross this over. And that free gift was Jesus. And these are based off four promises, if you, and I give you, a, you can look through last week's notes. In the book of Exodus, God's bringing his people out of Egypt, and he gives him four I wills. And those, really all the promises of the Bible break down to those four I wills. And the first one is this one, that I will bring you out, that I'm going to get you out of the mess you're in. You see, the, the problem and the reason we talk about this over and over and over, and, we, and if, you're, if you're new, 
You will learn these things, whether you want to or not. We'll say them enough. We'll say, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. And I have been known to point at you and go, hey, tell me. And then everybody puckers up. But we want you to know these. You see, because the truth of the matter is, church, and when I say church, the church, big church, keeps adding steps into this process. And if I had some pet peeves, and I have a couple, this is one of them, that we put barriers in between people making a decision, hey, I need God and I need Jesus. And then we give them all this religious junk that you got to do this. See, the truth of the matter is, and the lie is, that you got to get yourself right so you can know God. Oh, hey, I'm going to invite you to church. Before you come to church, hey, could you, could you not smoke? Because we don't really like the smell of smoke. And, and could you wash your clothes? Or, you know, you're not going to be able to drink now. If you want to go out and party on Saturday night, just don't party this time because when you come in Sunday morning, we can't have you hung over. If you're going to smoke something, don't smoke it. You know, don't, don't do it because when you come Sunday, we can't have you. You've got to be sober. Am I telling you to go get drunk, to get high, and sleep around? No. What I am telling you is that if you, if you are, those are exactly the people we want in here. Because I promise you, whether they'll admit it or not, they know this. They know they need God. And they know they need God active in their life. So the lie is you've got to get yourself right, but God's truth is you come know Him, and He'll make you right. Bring your junk. I had a friend that... Uh, in his church, he's a pastor friend of mine. A guy came up, and the pastor friend told me when he, when he looked at him, um, in his early years, this pastor friend of mine did a lot of drugs. So he looked at him and was like, yeah, I know what you're on. His eyes were bloodshot, and he was swaying around. But yet this guy felt comfortable enough to come into church, sit through, sit through church, high as a kite. And when, when my pastor friend said, you know, Jesus can really help you with this. God can help you. Just bring your, bring your drugs, bring it all, and bring it with you. And he did. He literally came up, opened his hands, and put some illicit drugs in my friend's hands and said, okay, what do I do now? And as, and as, as honest as I'm standing here, <laughs> my friend said he just went sober like that. He's like, God just Narcaned him. <laughs> He's like, Whoosh. and he said he realized that I'm coming with my junk because God's the one that's got to make me right. And that's the reason we tell people, listen, you can, you can do a lot of stuff in life, but you can't do this on your own. There's a lot you can fix. There's a lot you can, you can lose weight on your own. You may be able to change your diet and take care of medical issues. You may be able to counsel your way through grief and, and really get through that. But you can't do this without knowing God. And the truth of the matter is knowing God makes the rest of it a whole lot easier because you, you begin to build relationships. You see, God's greatest desire is that you and I know him. And we all start here. We all start at this place. Because the truth of the matter is this. There may be some among us in the room, in town, and probably in your family. Anybody got the aunt, uncle, or family member that's the high and mighty one? If they're sitting beside you, don't look at them. Like, <laughs> as my, my grandmother used to say, she, if she were alive, she'd kill me for telling y'all she said this, but she'd say, well, that guy acts like his poop don't stink. That's what she meant. 
See, even those people, the Bible says we all start in the same place. We're trapped trying to figure out to get from here to God. And whether you're, people may, I've taught this before, people in the room that tell me they're atheists. Oh, I'm sorry, even if you're an atheist or agnostic, God put something in you when he created you, and whether you believe it or not, he did create you, that says, I need to get back to the thing that created me. I need to return to what I know is normal. The world tells us that that's not normal. But that's who God created us to be. You see, when we get stuck in this sin, he keeps you feeling trapped. Like, I can't get out of this. I try try to get off these drugs, but I fall back in. I try to not get in bad relationships, but I pick another winner. I try to fix my life or fix my bills, and I just fall back, and I'm trapped. You see, the lie tells us this, that the answer is in things and stuff. That if I read the right books, if, I, if I'm just good, or if, my, if I do the yin and the yang and the good is equal with the bad, or just the good slightly good, better than the bad, then that'll get me into heaven. And no, it won't. Because the Bible's very clear. There's only way out of our mess is through what Jesus did. And see, the devil's goal is to keep us stuck. We become slaves to it. See, that when you read in the Old Testament, which is where we were talking about these promises came from, if you don't know, God's people were, were enslaved by, by Egypt. And God says, I'm bringing them out. And that's why he says, the first promise is, I need, I need to get you out. I need you to become free from that so that I can help you become what, you want us, what I want you to become. And the problem is that we become trapped to these things. And they're not always bad things. Sometimes I tell people, I think more, we can't figure out our priorities. Is God supposed to be first? My wife and family? Or maybe the hunt club? Or maybe my whatever, you know, whatever it is, we put these other things, and they're not necessarily bad, but they're out of order. And once they're out of order, and God's eyes, this is put nothing before me. And it's funny thing is he says, if you put me first, I'm going to give you all those things anyway. So stay, we get loyal to them. We end up serving them. Now, I'm as excited as the next guy is every time it gets to August. I was talking with Eric the other day. It's August. It's September. September. Ooh, we're getting close to deer season. Ooh, we can start getting back in the woods. And I can go quiet place with me, me, my rifle, and God. And nobody, I leave my phone. Nobody can bother me. It's just me and tonight's dinner. Right? But see, I can let something that is actually very restorative to me get out of whack and not only hurt my family, but I walk away from God. And not many of us walk away intentionally turning. We walk away in a kind of a, a drift. We become loyal to these things. The devil, devil gets us thinking that stuff is the answer. You see, this is why God has to get us out first. And he tells us this in John chapter 8, verse 34. He, this is Jesus talking. He says, hey, everyone who sins, you're stuck in it. The only way the, the Israelites got out of Egypt is God had to do something supernatural to get them out. He had to bring them out. In verse 35, it says, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, 
But and I highlighted it here for you. But a son does what? Belongs for, forever. You see, we all, whether you have a good one, a bad one, or maybe you don't know, we all have a father experience. Some of you, and I get it, like I don't know who my dad is. I never met him, don't know who it is, don't know where that half of my genetic makeup came from. Some of you had dads that you wish you didn't know. And some of you may be like me, I was blessed with a wonderful dad that, that taught me the things of God, taught me how to take care of money, taught me and raised me, you know, sent me to college, and I'm very blessed. But what you can't do is you can't assign daddy experience on earth to God. Because it's not who he is. See, God's will and plan was that we're all saved, all freely to be able to have a relationship with him. See, Pharaoh not only kept the Israelites feeling trapped, that they were treated the way the Egyptians treated the Israelites. They were treated as dispensable. Anybody ever had a job where you went to work and you just felt like they didn't care whether you were there or not? Because you were just a number, and if you didn't show, they're just going to replace you with somebody else. And if somebody didn't show, they're just going to replace you with somebody else. Studies show and leadership shows that employees will put up with a lot, hard work, nasty work, and sometimes even low pay, if they feel like they want me here. I'm part of a team. I'm valuable. And what the Pharaoh did to the Israelites is he just kept them feeling empty. He kept them feeling unfulfilled. They never could reach their potential. They were hopeless. But I'm going to tell you, this thought here, this, is, this, was, my, this was me several years back, maybe eight or ten years ago, that I, I got to a place in life where I thought, my life, there's got to be more to life than this. Then I got to a place in God, and this is where the devil gets us, where you say, God, my life with you has got to have more than this. Really? I just get up, go to church, give my tithe, give my offering, send kids to kids' church, maybe go to a grow group. There's just got to be more. See, the devil kept people and keeps us feeling empty and unfulfilled. And what he was trying to do is destroy their potential. Now, what I'm about to say is not a political statement giving recent events. But it's still true. I almost took it out of my notes because I just didn't want to get into it. But this is why I believe that abortion is such an issue today. You think back and look back to the Old Testament. If you don't know the story, the short of it is this. The Egyptians were terrified of the Israelites, even as slaves, because they thought they were replicating faster. They were growing. They were advancing in society, and they were terrified of them. So what Pharaoh did as he says, take all the firstborn men, I mean, take all the boys, and throw them in the river. Kill them all. What was he doing by extinguishing life? He was taking away the potential of the Israelites. And see, that's why we need to know this. God created you on purpose, for a purpose, even if the circumstances that you were conceived in were wrong and a mistake and bad. You're not an accident. And I think what the devil's been doing all this time is, is he keeps people short of their potential. 
there's been over six, 63, some say close to 64 million babies aborted since 1973 through now until when all the, of course, the abortion stuff is still up in the air and people are fighting over it. But I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a potential statement. That you have so much more. And the devil's just erasing society. I was talking to a, a black pastor friend of mine, and he was talking about, and I had no idea, that of those 64 million, a huge percentage of them were black brothers and sisters. Potential. And that's why we tell people that you need to know God because he can bring you free. You can out of this, and, and you know God, you know the one who created you, and you know the one who created you, that you have a purpose here. That I have so much more potential in my life when I understand that my potential, not based on me, but it was based on what God has done for me. Because if the devil can feel, keep you feeling empty, then he keeps you unfulfilled. And the last thing the Pharaoh did to the Israelites, the Israelites basically built, really, if you look at history, most historians will tell you, the Israelites built all the, the pyramids and all the great things in Egypt were built by the Israelites. And the last thing he did to them to try to keep them down is he gave them something that they could not do. He gave them an impossibility. They not only had quota of bricks they had to make every day, but then at the end, if you read the Bible, the Bible says that Pharaoh said, not only, not only do you have to make bricks, but you need to go collect all the, all the mud, all the clay, all the straw, and all your supplies to make your bricks for the next day. And he gave them something they could never do. Their potential was never to be able to do that. And he forced them to do something they could never accomplish. And he kept them feeling exhausted. Now, in today's world, social media, TV, with, our, with even some of, some of our work schedules, if we're honest, you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to raise it mentally. How many of you lay down at night just exhausted? Like, how are we going to do this tomorrow? I don't want to go to work tomorrow. Why? I just want to lay here. A lot of us. And if I'm honest, Melanie and I are being very careful because we're flirting with that. As the church grows and, you know, we're wanting to keep going and growing and be, stay with it, there comes a point where I told her, I said, oh, I just got to say no. Because I don't want to be that way. Because what comes from exhaustion? Burnout. And what happens when burnout happens? Bad stuff. Bad decisions. Bad life decisions. Bad money decisions. Because the truth is, burnout doesn't come from doing too much. Burnout comes from doing too much that doesn't matter. Let me say this another way. Burnout comes, I believe, for us as Christians, when we're doing too much that's not eternal. You say, well, Clint, how can, that's getting a little spiritual. No, let me make it real simple. Burnout comes when you're not doing what God's asked you to do. And we're not serving people. And we're not doing the food boxes. And we're not on a dream team serving. We're not in the parking lot, the parking lot team, the greeters. We're not doing something that's bigger than ourselves. Because the Bible says, I'll give you all the strength, all the energy. I'll give you everything, to need, everything you need to do what I've asked you to do. Burnout comes when we spend our whole lives spinning our wheels trying to do what we think is going to work what we think is going to make me feel better, or we think is going to make people think good about me. And it just has no purpose. We're doing things 
with no purpose. And if this is where you find yourself, trapped, empty, and exhausted, then real quick, as, before we get out of here, I want to ask you two questions. And it's going to require you to, to be honest with yourself. The first one is this. How did I get here? If you feel trapped, exhausted, and just worn out, and no purpose, and empty, ask yourself this question. And for most of you, it's what I said earlier, most of you, especially if we're serving God and we have a relationship with God, you didn't just wake up one morning and go, you know what, the heck with God, I'm going this way. It does happen. But for most of us, it's a slow drift. It's, it's um, I put up here, I think it's on the screen, yeah, hurt by people. Well, I can't go to church there because so-and-so goes there and they hurt me. It's a big room. You can sit on the other side. I mean, we all say amen, but most of us have made those decisions. You pull up to go, up and go into a restaurant in Sylvania, that's very few. I'm hungry. I'm really hungry. Then so-and-so walks in. Oh, I ain't going there. And you laugh because we've all done it. We do that with God and we drift. I mean, hurt by people. I put the third one on here because it's a real thing. And it's one of the things in my profession as a pastor that is at the top of my, you want to PO me? Find out when I hear about pastors hurting people. Churches hurting people. We, the sheep, that's what God asked me to do is take care of sheep. To me, church hurt and hurting people, manipulating people. Now, am I perfect? No. Could I say or do something to hurt some of you? Probably so. But my prayer is that you'll come to me or we can work it out and I'll know about it and not just people leave. But people do that. They take off. And that's why we say when you know God, your relationship to God is based on Jesus, not on me. You're just here part of this, this farm of sheep that I'm just trying to take care of. And there are people who, who leave and, and drift away from God because the pastor hurt me. Or because that man that's the leadership. He's, he, was, he was wearing one of those shirts that said BC and he told me I couldn't sit there. Because somebody else was sitting there. And I ain't going back to that church. And we let stuff like that get in the way. And we wonder why we are where we are. So how did you get, how did you get there? And then the question you saw a second ago. How do I get out? If you did come from maybe another church and you're here, how do I get healed? How do I get out of this feeling trapped, feeling empty, feeling exhausted? Because i got to get out. This is why we tell people, you got to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. If you see on the sign out there, the whole, our whole our logo that says one step, everybody's got a step to take. Everybody's got to have this step where they are to where God wants them to be. And for you to get out of this mess, whether it be returning to God or coming to God for the first time, God made this first promise, and you need to hear this. No God is a standalone. There's nothing else attached to it. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to give a certain amount of money. You don't have to serve on a dream team. Hear me when I say this. You don't even have to get baptized. 
You know, churches are putting that in the mix of if you're, if you're not baptized in water, that you're not saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that baptism is an outward sign of an inward work of salvation. God said there's only one thing between me and you, and that's Jesus. And the thing he replaces is this, because God says you need to take the first step. And God's word for that is simply to repent. Don't get caught up in the spiritual, oh, you mean repent like I need to wail and moan. And, and No, the Bible says that repenting is just a change of direction. And you're changing direction saying, God, I'm going this way and it's the wrong way, so I'm going to choose to go this way. And I really don't know where you're going and I don't understand. And I'm bringing my drugs, my, my relationships, everything I got, and I'm bringing it with me and I'm going to start walking with you. That's what that means. Turn around, make a change. And then God will begin to peel off those things that you don't need. It's not beating yourself up or punishing yourself. Look what the Bible says happens when you do in 2 Corinthians. Paul's right. Therefore, come out among them and be separate. You've got to make a decision. Nobody else can do this for you. The first step, I can't do it for you. I can't decide to believe for you. I can't decide to, to give life to God and go, I'm going to follow you. You have to. He says, come out from among them. And get away from all that stuff we said last time that it's the stink that's on you when you hang out with stuff that stinks. You may leave the stuff that stinks, but the stuff that stinks is still on you. So guess what? You still stink. And God says, don't touch it. Just come on. I'm going to take you the way you are. Just leave that stuff there and come on. I'll receive you. And then in the next verse, in verse 18, he said, then I'm going to be a daddy to you. And you're going to be my sons and daughters. Again, we've all had a daddy experience, a father experience in this earthly life. And I'm telling you, if I can get across something to you today, don't tag God with the bad that you may have here on earth. You're just going to have to trust me. That is, because your father here was not good to you, don't make that what you think God our Heavenly Father is going to be. The second thing, you've got to take the first step. The second thing is you're going to have to let some things go. And God's word is surrender. God does not, again, want you to, su want you to suffer and then learn your lesson. He just asks for surrender. That easy. Surrender is just giving, okay, God, I give up doing this on my own. Here you go. And he's not going to force you. God's not going to grab anybody by the throat and says, confess Jesus, confess Jesus, and confess, you know, start squeezing you like Darth Vader. You know, he just starts squeezing until you just do it. If he was going to do that, he would have just created us robots and we'd all march along. But that's not what he did. He wants a, a surrender of the things we hold close. If you've been here for very long, you've heard me tell the story. It's my favorite story of just a demonstration of surrender. When Mabel, my now 13-year-old, was probably two, Melanie left me at home alone with a two-year-old, <laughs> which in most cases was a good thing because I did fine. This one day I didn't do so good. I remember coming into the kitchen, and I thought, have you ever had that epiphany, like especially dads when you're watching kids, like, how long has it been since I've heard anything? I should pay attention not to my video game. I should go figure out where the kids are, right? I had one of those moments, like, uh-oh. And I go into the 
kitchen. I look all over the house. Emma's in her room playing. I look at Mabel's room. She's not there. And I go into the kitchen, and there sits Mabel with a butcher knife about that long, holding it by the blade. And Mabel, as a child, was just a happy thing. So she's just grinning and laughing and, and showing it to what she's found. I still, to this day, can't figure out how she got it. She's holding on to it, and I'm thinking, I can't take it from her because she's holding on to it. I don't want to scream at her, no, and make her squeeze harder because it's going to cut herself. She was holding this thing, and she was so proud of it. So I did what all good dads do when you need to fix a problem. I went and got candy, and I got Skittles, and I put some Skittles in this hand and just said, here, I'll trade you. You give me that, and I'll give you this. Well, she was potty trained with Skittles, so she knew exactly what they were. And so when she saw them, she just did this, and she laid her hand open, and I took the knife out and gave her the Skittles. You see, God's doing the same thing for you. He's not wanting to come to you who's wounded and hurt. Maybe you have a knife stuck in you and just jerk it out and then say, okay, now you get better, you sorry. No, he's like, "Here's, here's something better than what you have. Here's an open hand. See, most of us just need to do what Mabel did, and she just opened her hand. No big effort, no big, she just did this. And there are a lot of you in the room today that just need to do that. Ushers, you can do your thing, team, you can come. You need to be able to to let it go and surrender. Look what the Bible says in Mark chapter 8. This is out of the message, I love this. It says, anyone who intends to come has to let me lead. Anybody a terrible passenger in a car? That's me. Like I'm put, even when Melanie's driving, mostly with Melanie, I'm putting my foot on my pretend accelerator. Like, we got to go. And she's locked in at 56 and a half. I'm like, we got to go. You ask her, she's not going to deny it. She'll tell you that. But God says, hey, you're not in the driver's seat. I am. Some of you need to get out of the left seat and get into the right seat. Okay, God, here. Here's my keys. Here's life, and I'm going to go. Because he says, look what he says. He says, self-help is no help at all. You sacrificing yourself is the way to saving your life. You can't help yourself, but you can, you can surrender it. You can surrender who you truly are. And that leads to you repent, surrender, And this is where some of you may be today. It's commit your life. And this is not God saying, this is us saying, okay, I'll follow you. I will give you the knife in my hand. I'll give you life and surrender. Because all he wants to do is know you. This is why we just simply say, know God. Because God made a way so that We think this is God getting to know us, but the truth of the matter is he made a way so you can know him as well as he already knows you. Why does he already know you? Because he created you. The Bible tells us that he knows the hair and the number of hairs on your head. In some of y'all's cases, the lack of. But he knows that specific number. He knows, the Bible says he knew you in your mother's womb before you ever took your first breath. What he did through Jesus was saying, okay, 
I'm going to let you get to know me the way I know you. That's why I love this scripture. We'll close with this. In James chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, Hey, if you come close to God, He might move. No. If you come close to God, the Bible says, He's going to come close to you. You have to make that decision to repent. Make that decision to surrender and let stuff go. Because if you're trying to ride the fence, if you want to hold on to the knife and get the Skittles, you may get a sweet taste, but it's going to hurt. The Bible says, no, just let go of the one hand and receive what God has. Because he wants to get, know, get to know you because this is what no God is all about. It's all about relationship. You getting to know him, him getting to know you, you getting to know those who are getting to know him at the same time. Doing it in grow groups. You getting to know people who don't know him to bring him, them to a place where they can know him. Because this is what, if you're visiting today, I hope you take this. Those of you who call this home, you should know this is true. That we're a church that gets excited about a room full of people who don't know God. That should be exciting to us. If you're in the room this morning and you don't know God, we are excited you're here. Why? Because God says, here's some Skittles. Here's something better than you're holding on to. Here's something better than the trap you're in. And now it's our turn just to go, okay, here's my life, my, my mess, my hurts, my pains, my trauma, my drama. <laughs> I heard somebody tell me the other day, I need to give God my trauma, my drama. And it was a man who said this, and God, if God could take the baby's mama too. <laughs> said, well, I don't know if that's how it works. But he could save baby mama. And that's my prayer for you this morning. If you know God, that it be a renewed thing today. If you're watching online or in the room today and you don't know God, if you'll just close your eyes for a minute. I'm not going to invite you up here. I'm not going to make you come up front. But you take a second. With your head bowed and eyes closed. The Bible says it's this easy. And when you confess with your mouth that he, Jesus is your Lord, that he did come to save you. You believe it in your heart, and then say, God, I surrender. Here's both hands empty. I give you my life. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to go wherever you tell me to go. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to build a relationship with you. Right where you are, right where you sit in the room or online, the Bible says, you just make that conversation with God. And the Bible says, immediately, you know God. Now, can you know him more? Certainly. But your eternity's settled. That gap has been closed. The bill has been paid. And here's the wonderful thing about it. Even if you don't understand it, will God show you? Yes. Will God teach us? Yes. Understanding is not part of it. It's surrender. So God, for those in the room this morning, those coming back to you and maybe those meeting you for the first time, God, I ask you that their hearts are fluttering, not because they're scared, God, but because they feel you maybe for the first time. They find freedom for the first time. God, they discover their purpose. And God, they join a team and we make the biggest difference we can in Sylvania and Scraven County. God, I thank you for that now. In Jesus' name.
And everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with me, if you will? If you made that commitment, or maybe you return, you're kind of bringing your life back to God, there's cards in the, in the pocket in front of you. There's a little QR code there or a QR code out in the foyer. You can shoot that with your camera. We're not going to come visit you. We're not going to come bother you. We just want to send you some next steps. You've taken one step now. Now, what's your next one step? So if we can pray with you about anything, you can let us know there. Also, to my right, your left, we've always got people over here who are ready and willing to just agree with you. Sometimes you want to just grab hands with people and say, hey, I, this is going on in life, and I need your prayer, or whatever the case may be, know that that's here. But again, if you're visiting today, we're going to sing one more song. I call it just a settle time. This is my prayer is that while you sing and worship this last song, that God just plants the seed down deeper in your heart and maybe begins to water it. Maybe if you didn't make a decision, you will. And then after, you, after we sing, they're going to dismiss you. And again, I encourage you, at least stop. Just make me this promise. If you're not in a group, at least stop at two tables. Find two options. And if there's not an option, let us know. We'll start working on it. We can't do stuff overnight, but it's so important to me that I want to give it effort. I want to give it time to make it work. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to bless your afternoon, and then we're going to sing What a Beautiful Name. God, I thank you in Jesus' name for the day, for together. God, that we get to come together and worship you. That through Jesus, we can bridge that gap. We can walk freely into you and say, hey, Daddy, I'm not perfect, but I'm here. God, help us imperfect people find people out there who need to come and join the, our track, to take steps with us, the lost people. And God, we promise you, we'll get excited when this room is full of people who don't know you, being served by people who know you and just want to bring them closer. And God, we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.